Money talks. But so do we. I'm Lauren. I'm Kat. And I'm Daniel. And And we're we're your friends friends with tax benefits. We are here to sound off about write-offs. To get wise about wealth building. And take the taboo out of tax talk. We work at TurboTax. So obviously this is what we love to talk about. But we're not here to replace your tax professional. In each episode, we'll share real talk about money with our personal opinions, advice, and jokes about all things financial. What we won't do is share any opinions on behalf of Intuit, TurboTax, their brands, or employees. Did the lawyers make you say that, Kat? So stop scrolling on Tax Talk. Call your financial professional later because it's time to talk tax, friends. Welcome to this episode of Friends with Tax Benefits. We're going to be talking all things finance and taxes like usual, but this time we're speaking about the home buying process and renting. And who better than to let us in on all the dramas in obtaining your perfect home than some HGTV reality shows like House Hunters and Property Brothers. Have you seen any of those shows, Lauren Daniel? No. <laughs> I have. I don't know really how to avoid those shows. I think certain people seem to have them on in the background on repeat when I'm at their places. So one thing I wonder with house hunters is people always have jobs like, oh, I sell artisanal paper clips and my husband is a lemonade stand connoisseur and have a modest budget of $3 million. I'm always like, how do these people with the jobs they allegedly have afford the kinds of houses they seem to be always trying to buy on house hunters? It baffles me. Lauren, I think that is exactly it. I'm like, wait, some of the projects that folks are willing to take on, like I will be gung-ho about a small little DIY, you know, but then some of these folks come in not only with this astronomical budget, but then they're like, yeah, let's just demo and redo the house in two weeks, like before we move in, no big deal. So HGTV, come on, Daniel. I'm sure your wife or you have just left it on in the background. I'm sure you have a whole wall of shiplap up in there somewhere, Daniel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. The, the only the only thing that's ringing a bell is craft paper clips in this conversation. <laughs> and like, I know about those, uh, but as is always the case, I have no idea what you're talking about, but... But it sounds good. It sounds like I want to pay attention to these people who are fabulously wealthy and don't work very hard. Part of the reason I haven't bought my own place is I have aspirations, like HGTV aspirations. And (laughs) it's like, boom. I will say that HGTV, for a lot of folks who do watch it, it almost like gives you these unrealistic expectations of like, oh yeah, I'm going to come in. It's going to have a fireplace. I'm going to have a wall of shiplap. It's going to have the perfect backsplash. When you're out and about in these houses that have been around for maybe 50 plus years or so, they're not having these upgrades that you're used to. Or if you buy a new home, sometimes you're looking at those upgrades like, is that even worth it? Is that even worth what it's going to cost me? So the perfect home, I don't think it exists. So, Daniel, something tells me that you've got some experience under your belt as far as this home buying process is concerned. So I'd love to hear what you have for our audience as it pertains to buying a house. All right. Let me tell you a few things that come to mind as I reflect on the semi-miserable home buying process. Um, <laughs> so here's here's what's wild. I moved from Tucson to San Diego last summer, and you all know me well. 
I'm a I'm a budget guy. And so I know exactly how much money I have to spend each month. And and I talked to the mortgage broker and he told me that I could afford an insanely expensive house. And I was like, who are you kidding? What are you doing, dude? And then I went into Zillow and I put in, um, here's my income. And and it gave me, a, you know, how much home can you afford? And it was three times more money than I bring home every month. And that doesn't include like gas and groceries. And so what- Daniel, I- it's because they don't care if you can afford to live. They just want to know, can you afford to pay your mortgage? That doesn't mean, will your kids and you eat? <laughs> so it's dumb. Don't listen to the people who seemingly have incentives to get you to buy something more expensive because I think there are commissions related to that. So listen to your own budget and um, not your realtor or your your mortgage broker when it comes to how much- you can afford. That was a great point, Daniel, that yes, um, and I'm saying this as somebody who's a licensed realtor, they're getting paid a higher commission on the more expensive your house is, right? Think about your own personal budget. Like what do you currently spend for housing? What do you have available in your budget to spend and make it make sense? Because when these people are doing their equations to see what you can afford, it doesn't account for you taking that annual family vacation or solo trip that you enjoy. Like something will come up that you didn't plan for. I know for us in the first month, the AC had a leak that we couldn't figure out and had to drain money (laughs) into getting it fixed. There was an electrical short that kept turning the power off sporadically that we had to pay a licensed electrician to come in and change some of the breaker panels in the back. And that happened within the first month of us closing on the house. Hey, I got one more little, I got one more, I got one more hack and this is a really good one. I'm gonna change the game for some of you all. You mentioned have a little bit extra money for all those little, little this is and that's and need some attention. There's this notion of paying a little bit extra than your mortgages. I'm gonna give you one quick quick example here, okay? So imagine you get a $300,000 house you put 20% down, interest rate is 4.5%. I'm just setting some baselines here, okay? So if you pay an extra $200 every month, all right, so imagine your your mortgage is you know $1,200 and you pay $1,400. If you pay $200 extra a month over the life of your loan, you will save $65,000 and 8.75 years of, of, of mortgage. You will pay it off 8.75 years faster so that 30-year loan will be paid off in 21.25 years, and you'll save $65,000. But the thing I'll tell you is that automate it. Put it in your monthly, when you pay your mortgage, because you will forget, because you'll be like, I need that money. I don't need to do it. It's not necessary. But if you automate it, 65K. And so think about that, even if it's 100, 100 extra dollars. But if you can pay more um, than your minimum, it goes all towards the principal, and you can shave off years of your mortgage. And that was a, that's a hack that I think everybody should do when you get the little fluff in your budget. I think also you mentioned something key, Daniel, make sure that that additional payment is going towards the principal. So sometimes these mortgage lenders are a little tricky. And when you go to add that extra money, at least that's from my experience, when I went to go add the extra money on the payment, it says, where do you want this extra money to go to? And then you're prompted, is it going to the interest or is it going to the principal? So apply it towards the principal so that you're saving money. And I was like, wow, if somebody didn't know the difference in these two terms, they could find themselves like, oh, I'll put it towards the interest. But no, you want to put it towards the principal. principal. The principal, to be clear, is the, the base cost of the house before they're adding the interest on top of it. So Daniel, you shared a really great tip for paying off your mortgage early. And I've read in my research some debate about the benefits of paying off a mortgage early or keeping it financed for the long term. What are your thoughts on that? 
I have two thoughts on it. One is I'm not smart enough to be very well informed about it. So hopefully Kat can make up for my deficiencies there. But I think the rationale behind it is imagine, I think I have a three, 3% interest on my loan, something like that. But people can invest money and you might make 5% on, on your investment. And so some people will say, well, I'll keep a 3% interest rate on my home because I can get a better return on my investment if I invested in, in something else. So it's not a guaranteed you know, return, but, but I think that's the rationale for why people keep it financed their home and, and take the additional money and invest it elsewhere because the return is greater than the interest rate. Does that sound right, Kat? For me, I always say when it comes to these things, as far as like your budget or do you pay it off quicker or do you keep it financed, it's going to be a matter of preference. So maybe in Daniel's logic and, you know, my logic is if I plan to own this home for the whole 30 years that I'm supposed to have this mortgage, why not pay it off quicker? So then, you know, those, what did you say, eight point something or almost nine years that I'm saving on the life of the loan, then I don't have that payment, you know, um, that's more of a, I don't want to say more of a guarantee, but you know, you've locked yourself into this 30 years. And another upside that I think of paying a little bit more is you're building your equity in that house, right? So that money is going towards, when I say equity, the value that you've already paid off or that you have in that home. And some people might consider pulling out a home equity loan. So from what your house is worth and what you've paid on it. You might be able to take out a loan if you wanted to maybe use that money to go buy another property as an investment or as a second home or take out that money to do a major improvement on your house that you can't afford at the moment. So like roofs have a a life expectancy on them, right? So after maybe 15, 20 years in your house, you might be looking at needing to replace the roof and the twenty twenty five thousand dollar cost you might need that equity from your house to do it or maybe you bought a house with a great backyard but it didn't have a pool and now you want to have some funds to put that pool so you might be able to take some equity alone from your house in essence so it really depends on your financial situation your plans for the future too I think you just want to know your options and so you can invest or you can pay your mortgage down and just know that those are two different routes you can go down so Lauren, I know you bring a different perspective to the table than what Daniel has shared with us. So I'd love to have some insight onto how you feel about the whole home buying and renting process. I think a lot about this topic. And for me, I have yet to buy my own home, but I do have aspirations of both buying a home and also investing in real estate. And when I first started exploring this more seriously a couple of years ago, my plan was to buy a duplex so that I could live in one half of the unit and rent the other half out to really fast track paying down my mortgage. But since that time, I moved from Atlanta to San Diego and the cost of property and real estate is so drastically different from one market to the other. And so the sticker shock has been real. And that question of, do I really want to invest in this market when I could get a lot more bang for my buck elsewhere has really been top of mind for me. One thing that's also prevented me from really investing in a property here is if I don't really see myself here in 10, 20, 30 years, and most mortgages are 20 or 30 years or 15 on the lowest end, does it make sense then for me to invest in property here if I don't really see this being my home 
long term or I'm not really clear on how long I'll be staying here. Well, I'll be bummed if you decide to leave. (laughs) I know that my home buying experience doesn't really represent that of the typical buyer. So being the little nerd lifelong learner that I am, I had previously taken a real estate course in Florida and I just never went forward with taking the state exam. So I buckled down, gave myself a month to dive back into the real estate material, studied, took my state exam, and I passed. And I was able to get my license active and listed. The commission that the real estate agent, so in this case me, was earning, it came back to me. So yes, I did have to report that as income. (laughs) And I did have to report that on my taxes this year for 2021. But I was able to take that money back and reinvested in our house. So we used that money that we got back from the commission of the sales. And that money specifically went to laying new floors in the house because we had some hideous terrazzo floors. And if you're from Florida, you probably know what they are. They're like... (laughs) My whole house is terrazzo. Unbelievable. Now it's the part of the episode where we'll be answering your questions about all things money, taxes, and this week, home buying and investing in property. We've got our resident tax expert, Kat, who can help to break down the tax implications of these questions. What are the advantages to buying a home as opposed to renting without having to do house maintenance, gardening, property taxes, etc.? One of the upsides of actually owning your home as it pertains to like your taxes would be that you get to deduct things like your real estate property tax that you pay. If you paid any points or mortgage origination fees to secure your loan, you would be able to deduct that. Um, Any home mortgage interest that you paid, you would also get to deduct that. Now, sometimes folks get confused and think that when they do like repairs or maintenance to their primary home that they would be able to in some way like deduct that or put that on their taxes. So unfortunately, you won't be able to deduct it on your taxes unless part of your home is being rented out. Like for example, if you refinished your basement and then you decided to rent your basement out, you might be able to deduct some of the costs and things associated with refinishing your basement since that part would be rental income. But major repairs like roof, window, AC, which people normally see over time or when they first buy, things like that, you won't be able to deduct, but they will get added to the basis that you have in the property. So when you do sell, it would offset some of your profit by those investments that you made to the home. Hey, one roof thing that you can deduct, I just put on solar and I had to repair my roof and the roof repair also qualified for the 26% tax credit. So that was a huge win because it needed to be fixed in order, just in general, but in order to put the solar panels on. So I I actually got some pretty great tax credits from that. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, great tax credits or like benefits around like putting solar and sometimes depending even on the state level, there might be programs as well too that like help offset that cost. I was fortunate enough that the house we bought already had solar panels on it. So we looked up, um, but there there are some tax credits around like solar energy or energy efficient appliances being installed in your home. 
Daniel, what prompted you to install solar panels on your house? I think I might have a sense, given that you're the kind of person who brews your own kombucha, but I'd love to like, dig into this. He drinks. He's drinking it right now, too. Um, no, I can hardly afford to live here. And when I got my first electricity bill, and I was like, what? Um, so um, one day we'd like to get an electric car, but that would make the electricity be more expensive. And so I'm trying to make this house cost less than it costs. So that's why we did it. And we have no, we have literally no electricity bill every month, um, which is amazing. And Kat, you mentioned as part of your response to the question of renting versus buying something about the basis of the house. Can you unpack for us what you meant by that? Yeah. So basis is a fancy way of saying the money you put into the house. So the physical cost that it costs you to buy the house, and then you get to add on to that basis with major improvements. So let's say you put in a $5,000 AC unit, whatever it costs you to buy the house, plus that $5,000 now becomes the new core value or the base value of the house, if you will. Great. Thanks, Kat. What is the best type of loan to get when buying a home? Honestly, it's going to depend on your financial situation, your credit, depending on the area that you're going to buy a home in. There's all different types of loans. So there's VA loans that might be available to a veteran, FHA loans that you might be able to qualify for. There's also um, USDA loans if you're buying in an area that's more remote. They all are going to come with their advantages and perks. So your best bet is going to work with either like a mortgage broker or a loan originator or some type of lender. And I would definitely encourage folks to shop around. Um, It's not going to negatively affect your credit score every time that you go to speak to different lenders or mortgage brokers or loan originators because it all is going to show up on your credit kind of as one similar activity. And it's obvious that you're like looking for a home in that process. So you really just want to do some research because all of them are going to offer maybe like different interest rate levels or um, different down payment requirements, or maybe you could qualify for something that's going to give you down payment assistance. It really depends on your income level and your family size, your credit. So there's a couple of factors that go into why you might choose the type of loan you choose. So it's going to vary for each person. It's not a one size fits all scenario for sure. Two notes of caution here. So there's a lot of complex financial junk that happens with a loan. And I remember thinking, oh, I want to get my loan under 3% or 2.75 or what have you. And they're like, no problem. I can get you that. But what they'll do is for every bit lower on the interest rate, Well, then they jack on what are called points. And so then you have a higher upfront cost. And so I am not an expert on loans, but just know that often as you get the interest rate lower, then you have to pay higher upfront costs, um, what what are called points. I don't even know what a point is, but I had to pay more money. And so I did not get the rate I had thought I wanted because I would have had to have paid much more cash upfront for these loan origination points or what have you. So just just... I don't know, Kat, if you have anything that you could tell people how to understand or resources that you could point people towards, towards understanding interest rate versus points so they they don't go all in for a 2% interest rate but end up paying $25,000 in points because that can happen. As far as points are concerned, the term is thrown around a lot and it's essentially money that you're paying 
your lender, so the person that's giving you the mortgage, to lower your mortgage interest rate. So in order to go from a 3.5 to a 3.2, they might say you need to pay $3,000. So then you've paid $3,000 of points. And your monthly payment is $50 cheaper. And so what you just have to think about, and this is where you need a, you know, financial smarty pants or a calculator online to help you think through, okay, how long do I plan to be in this house? And will that $50 a month, how long will it take me to pay pay off that $3,000 additional money that I put down to get that lower interest rate? And so it's just a bunch of weighing upfront costs versus long-term, you know, monthly payments. And I know more and more a lot of people are buying homes and investing in property to rent them out. So if we're thinking about renting out a place on Airbnb, for example, what goes into an Airbnb investment budget? So I think it's very important before you even take the leap or like close on a house and you have the idea that you want to do an Airbnb, which is essentially a short-term rental, to look into the requirements or the laws pertaining to that in your specific neighborhood that or city or county that it's going to be in. Because increasingly, as they've become more popular, there's been more regulation around it. A few years prior, when it was kind of newer thing to do, not as much. There are some cities that don't even allow you to do short-term rentals because for whatever reason, whatever ordinance they've passed. So I think that level of research first is important to do before you make the commitment to buy a property to know that can you do short-term rentals. Some might have stipulations like you can, but the owner has to be on site, which means you can't really short-term rent the entire place out, but maybe you can a room or two. Even if they do allow it, it's likely you're going to have to get a business license or permit maybe even pass some type of inspection. The cost behind that can sometimes start to build up before you even have the opportunity to make money. So if you don't plan to do turnover service where you're like cleaning the sheets and linens and the place yourself, you might consider outsourcing that to companies that do that. But then that's another cost to consider every time your guest is there, a cleaning fee. Airbnb or uh, Verbo or any of these other platforms that let you sell too, they're going to have some type of commission or fees that they also take away from the profit that you could potentially make. So those are all things that you're going to want to weigh in on. And it's likely you're going to have to pay your city and your county or state or all three of them some type of sales tax. So that sounds hard. Um, I have a friend who owns a few homes and he rents them out to long-term rentals. And it just seems like so much more work to have that constant turnover. And I can imagine there being more wear and tear on your house. I have two little, well, they're kind of big rascals now, but they don't exactly tiptoe through the Airbnbs that we stay in. And so I I, I get it that there's a, a, a high upside, but it seems like it's quite a bit of work. It is a commitment. It is a business. It's not, it's definitely not something that will be fully automated. You can do your best to get it as automated as possible, but it's not. Great. Thanks for breaking that down for us. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Friends with Tax Benefits. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Bye, y'all. Bye, Lauren. Bye, Kat. Bye, Daniel. Bye, Lauren. 
Friends with Tax Benefits is an Intuit TurboTax podcast produced by Frequency Media. We're your hosts, Daniel Thrall, Katharina Rickmans, and Lauren Thomas. From Intuit TurboTax, Jane Lahani is our executive producer, and Tony Melinda is our video producer. From Frequency Media, Jordan Rizzieri is our producer, Catherine Devine is our associate producer, and Matthew Ernest Filler is our editor and sound engineer. Concept development by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pashesnik, and Isabel Moncloa Daly. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. 